All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us this morning. And Lord, we do thank you for salvation. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be alive. God, we thank you, Lord, for a good week of revival. God, thank you, Lord, for the work that's been done. God, thank you, Lord, for all the preparation that went into it, God, and the fruit that we saw from it. Lord, we, we thank you, God, Lord, just give you the praise and the glory, God, for all those things. And Lord, here we are today, God, Lord, this Sunday after revival, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us and help us, God, as we get back, Lord, to serving you, Lord, and doing, God, what we're supposed to be doing. And Lord, pray that you'd watch out over us, God, give us power. Lord, pray that you'd give us direction and leadership. God, help us to take heed to those things. And God, we just thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done for us. God, thank you for what you've done in us. And God, help us, Lord, this morning, God, as we stand here in the Sunday school hour. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Galatians chapter 4. Let, let me read just a couple of verses. Look in verse, uh, verse 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. The Bible said, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. All right, hold your place there, and then look over in Romans 1. The Bible said, Paul a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God. Now there's three things that I want you to take notice of between Romans 1 and Galatians chapter 4. Three terms and in Galatians chapter 4 the term that I want you to take note of is sons or son. And then in Romans chapter 1 I want you to take note of in verse 1 the next term is servant. And then after that the next term is apostle. And the reason I want you to take note of those things is because those are three terms that uh, very well describe the position that describes the nature of a Christian. And that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. There's three aspects of a Christian. When the Lord deals with men, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm a little bit foggy this morning, but when the Lord deals with men in training them and teaching them, and it's a common teaching uh, approach a common teaching tactic when God deals with men and really when teachers deal with students, uh, uh, people, when they're dealing with other people, trying to teach and train them things. Often what we do is we try to take something that is known to the student and use that to bring the student to the place of the unknown. In other words, uh, let me put it to you in terms of what we're looking at this morning. If somebody came to you and said, uh, what's a Christian? You could say, well, a Christian is a Christian, but that wouldn't be very descriptive. And, and there, there's not anything necessarily wrong with saying a Christian is a Christian. I, I'm not trying to imply that. Uh, you could say, well, you need to open your Bible and find out what a Christian is. And that would be accurate as well. Is that understood? Uh, the, the definition, if you want to see what the term, what, if you want to see the idea uh, the philosophy, if you will, of what a Christian is, you're not going to get that any other place than the book that you hold in your lap. 
if it's a King James. Now, I mean, if you got an ASV or, a, you know, NIV, then we could debate about what kind of idea you might get about being a Christian. But if you got a King James Bible sitting in your lap, that's where you're going to get the idea of what a Christian is. And you're not just going to get some vague ideas. You are going to get the definition of what a Christian is. Uh, let me just run a little rabbit trail here for just a second because I'm going to use the term here in, in just a couple of minutes. There's, there's a difference between defining things and describing things. You know, when you, when you describe something, well, you say, this is like that. But when you define things, you go line by line and you say, this is this and this is this and this is this. And it's a lot more in-depth. It's a lot more... Uh, constructed. It's a lot more uh, organized for those things. But sometimes when you deal with people that don't know, when you deal with uh, folks that are, you, you're trying to explain a new concept to them, a very helpful way of doing those things is by saying, well, this is like this. And it's describing the thing. So if somebody came to you and said, well, what's a Christian? You could very easily and accurately, you'd be right in saying this. You'd say, well, if you want to know what a Christian is, you need to open that book and read. And you'd, you'd find out what a Christian is. You'd understand it line by line. Well, sometimes when the Lord deals with men, and obviously when teachers deal with students, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll say, well, it's like this. So if somebody came to you and said, well, what's a Christian? You could say, well, do you know what a son is? Well, yeah, I know what a son is. Okay, well, a Christian is like that. If you can understand the concept of a son, that's what a Christian is like. Well, what's a Christian? Well, do you know what a servant is? Well, a Christian is like that. Now, there, there comes up a problem, and this is also a rabbit trail, but I believe this would be very useful to you. It, it, it can create some limitations because... There are some people in this world who don't really have an accurate understanding of what a son is. Maybe they had a, maybe they had a slouch for a daddy. Uh, maybe they didn't have a daddy really to speak of at all. Uh, maybe they were a poor son. Uh, those are all possibilities. But either way, whatever the case is, whatever the situation is, uh, sometimes that can be limited. Uh, it, it's, very, it's very, especially so, dealing with the term of servant. Because you're living in America, and nobody's a servant to anybody in America. We're all, you know, high on the hog and, you know, so forth and so on. We, we ain't serving nobody. We serve ourselves, And that's just the attitude that we as Americans have. And I don't entirely begrudge that attitude. I don't care too much for kings. Amen. <laughs> Getting to where I don't care too much for politicians altogether. But anyways. Uh, <clears throat> but anyways. Uh, so you can see the breakdown in those things. But if you've got any kind of understanding about what a son and what a servant and what an apostle is, I think you can understand very, very well uh, what the nature of a Christian is, what, what he is supposed to be. And so the, the definition of a Christian you can find by going through the Bible, starting Genesis and read through uh, the book of Revelation. Now, particularly, you're going to find the, uh, you're going to find the definition of a Christian in Paul's epistles. Uh, Brother Mike, I believe it was, made the comment this past week, you know, the gospel is not Genesis to Revelation. 
And, uh, you know, maybe if you're not too familiar with your Bible, you, you have that misunderstanding. But that's not true. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is also true that when you read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it is true that all of it is profitable for you. All of it is profitable for you. But all of it is not written to you. Uh, God never told you. God never told you to go build an ark in your backyard so that you would be saved from a worldwide flood. He did tell somebody that, but not you. God never told you to bring any kind of animal sacrifices to a temple in Jerusalem. Your sacrifice has already been offered, and the blood of that sacrifice was laid on the mercy seat in heaven. So you don't, you don't have to do any of that stuff. So uh, you can get benefit. You can, you can understand things. There's instruction to be had. But all of the Bible is not written to you. So you can go through Genesis to Revelation and learn what a Christian is. That's, that was my motive for saying all of that stuff. You can go through the entire Bible and learn what a Christian is. But you're particularly going to see it in the epistles that Paul wrote. But let me just hone in this morning on a couple of, of these terms. And one, obviously, we've, I've already pointed them out to you. One is a son and one is a servant and one is, a, is an apostle. Now, I was going to bring the whiteboard out this morning, but I didn't really have a whole lot to write. And I figured that y'all were smart enough to be able to hold this in your mind. So I'm just going to tell you. And if you want to write it down, you're welcome to. Might do you some good to write it down. But let me, let me give these things to you. Uh, we're talking about rudimentary, elementary, uh, an elementary concept of what a Christian is. You said, Brother Nathan, we're all highly sophisticated Christians and we're well-seasoned. Well, this would be good for you anyway, uh, especially if you overestimate yourself. You get too big for your britches and think you know more than you think you really do. And this would be good for you. So first of all, you have this thing of sonship. You know what that equates to? It equates to leadership, being led of the spirit. And we'll, we'll look at that here in just a second. Then you have this thing of servanthood. Well, that deals with works. That deals with labor. It deals with service. And then you have this thing of apostleship. Now, you're not an apostle in the same sense that uh, Peter, James, and John, and the, these, these 12 actual disciples, the apostles of the Lamb, you're not an apostle in that sense. But you are an apostle in the sense that God is able to give you power. He sure is. Uh, God, is God is fully able to give you power. And so let me say this and then we'll look at some scripture this morning. I understand that Romans is before Galatians. You know, we looked at Romans 1 and Galatians chapter 4. And I understand that Romans is before Galatians. But theologically, as far as understanding things theologically, what we're looking at this morning, I read Galatians first and then Romans second because that's the way it's set up theologically. Sonship is first. And then being a servant is next. And then being an apostle comes after that. Now, uh, I lay those things out that way and I believe it's in a sense, in a sense, uh, don't want to hold this too tightly, which we're, I'm going to elaborate on these things this morning. It's chronologically that way, and it is in that way in importance. Uh, let me just give you an example of what I'm talking about. You don't be a servant before you become a son. You understand? That's a, that's a very dangerous error. 
And so we'll look at that a little bit more this here in just a second. But look with me, if you will, in Romans chapter 8. And let's take a look at this. I told you that being a son deals with leadership. So look in Romans chapter 8. And let's start in verse... Uh, well, let's just read verse 14. We'll just cut right to it. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. The Bible says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Amen. You see that? So, now... I don't necessarily have a problem with this, but with, a lot of times a preacher will read that verse and he'll apply it to the people that he's preaching to devotionally. And I've done that myself. And I don't have a problem with that. And when I say he applies it devotionally, what I mean is he'll say something along these lines. He'll say, uh, if you're a son of God, there should be leadership there. And if you're not being led of the Spirit, then that implies that you're not really a son. You see that? And that, that'll cut you. That'll cut you to the heart uh, if, if you're not paying attention to the leadership the Holy Spirit's given to you, right? But let me say this about this passage. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 is not, in the context in which it's found, it's not a devotional thing. It's a doctrinal statement. It is a doctrinal statement. What that verse says is that if you are a son of God, the Holy Spirit is and will give you leadership. That's what it's saying. If you go back and you read the context of Romans chapter 8, the verse is saying, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a son of God, according to the book of John chapter, chapter 1, I believe it's verse 14, as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Did you believe? Okay, then you're a son of God. And what that equates to is that there's leadership there. Now we could argue and we could preach and will preach on a regular basis about whether or not you're paying attention to that leadership, you hardhead. And that's good preaching. That, that's true preaching. I need that preaching as much as you do. But the doctrinal statement which is what I'm interested in this morning. The doctrinal statement is that if you're a son of God, God's providing you the leadership. Amen. You just need to get the earwax out of your ears and listen. All right, now look over in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, let's look at this thing of service. That's, that's sonship. Now let's look at this thing of being a servant. Ephesians chapter 2 and look in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10. All right, verse 10, Bible says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So you trust Christ, you're born again, you're born from above, like the Bible says in 1 John, and the natural course of that new life that you have is service should be in there somewhere, right? It's after you become a son. It's a product of your sonship, but it's there. It's there. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. One of the first things you should try to understand when you're born again is that when, when the Lord saved your soul, you were placed in Christ. You're placed in God. That is the statement that Paul made in the first 
epistle that he ever wrote to any church, 1 Thessalonians, that was the first epistle that he wrote according to the record. And the first opening statement that he makes is to the church at Thessalonica, which is in God. Well, he says right here, he said, you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. All right. And then look in Matthew chapter 10. We'll take a look at this thing of apostleship. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 and look in verse 1. Matthew chapter 10 verse 1. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. The Bible said, it says, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now, he, these are disciples, right? And the Bible said that he gives them power. And then in verse 2, he calls them now the name of the 12 apostles. So what an apostle is, is it's a disciple. It's a disciple. It's a disciple. But he's been given power. So that's, that's, the, that's the difference between being a, a disciple and an apostle. And so it, it really, the, these three things explain the order uh, it, 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 it not only describes the nature of a Christian, but it really describes the order of how your Christian life, how you are in your Christian life going to grow. And it's, a, it's a, I want to say systematic. I'm a little hesitant to say that because the Lord has all kinds of ways at, with, with dealing with people. But uh, let me just kind of alleviate my own conscience in saying it's systematic. And let me say this. A lot of people take this attitude that God is very haphazard. And I don't believe that for five seconds. I believe that God is a God of order. Let, let me say this, and this might, you know, this might rub you fur the wrong way. But I don't care you're wrong and what I'm getting ready to say is right. Uh, God is predictable. You say, why would you say something like that? Because Ecclesiastes 1 says, the thing that hath been shall be. There is nothing new under the sun. Now, he might be unpredictable as far as you are concerned or as far as I'm concerned. I, I fully understand that and I fully uh, some things happen in my life on a regular basis, and I'm sitting here saying, what in the world is going on? But that doesn't mean that the answer is not found in there. It just means I ain't found it yet. Amen. Yep. <clears throat> How many of you have children? You know what one of the things that your children really desire and what they really need? You know what they need out of you as far as a parent? Predictability. If you come in one day and, you know, everything's hunky-dory, you know, for, for example, let me, let me give you a better example. If you come in one day and there's milk all over the table and, you know, Oreo cookies smashed up, left all over the table and there's dirt on the floor and you walk in and you're okay with that. And then the next week you come in and you lose your mind over that. That's not their fault. That's on you. That's on me. You say, what's the problem? It's, it's not predictable. You're, you're not predictable. Hey, the same thing goes for a, a preacher. 
You know, if a preacher comes in one day and he's okay with things, and then he comes in the next week and he's preaching against the things that he before. Now, I have, I have personally had to come to the pulpit and say, hey, we got to change this. I, we, I just did that a week ago about this deck of cards things. And I, I tried to let the church understand that, hey, I take responsibility for that. I was okay with that. But, man, something in my own heart and mind. I didn't want the church to feel like that was the church's fault. Hey, that was me. But see, you, you can't come in, you know, one day and be okay with something. And then the next week without saying, hey, it was me. It, it's on me. It's on my shoulders. And then let the congregation have it. What you're going to do is you're going to create a big question mark in people's minds. Do you see that concept? It applies with children. It applies with the church. It applies down at the workplace. You know, you let things go with an employee and then turn around two weeks later and you're letting them have it because of the things that you've been allowing. You've got to create some kind of air of stability. Well, why wouldn't you think that the Lord would do the same thing? God's a God of order, isn't he? Okay, so in that sense, God is predictable. God is... You can open this Bible. I just don't know why God is doing this. I don't know why God does this or why God does that. Well, listen, if you came and asked me, I might have to say, I don't know either. But I guarantee you that answer is in that book. Because God is not wanting to be a stranger. God wants to be known. I, I don't want my kids to look at me and say, who in the name of God is this guy that's living in my house that's barking at me all the time? You know what God is? God is the God of peace. Sometimes he has to work that peace by war. Sometimes he has to do that. But God would much rather have peace by you just seeing it his way and acquiescing and saying, hey, that's right. I'm going with you. God would rather it be that way. When he sends his preachers out, they're ministers of peace. That's, that's what the mindset of God is. Well, you can't have peace without order. I wonder why there's so much turmoil in America. Why, why there's no peace in America. Well, it's because there's no order. We get back to order. You see that concept? Okay. Well, you can't have order if there's not a steady nature of things. Brother Mike gave that illustration. I, I love it when he does it because it's just funny. But he gave that illustration of gravity. You know what that is? Every time it happens, he made that statement this past week. Every time, it, every time you let go of that thing, it's going to drop. That's gravity. It's a law. You know what that is? That's order. If you drop it one day and it happens, and then the next day you drop it and it stays floating... That's chaos. You can't fly planes. You can't stop cars. Did you know that your car stops because gravity works? Well, I, I think I've elaborated on this enough, and I really want to move on a little bit this morning. But what I'm trying to get you to see is that God is a God of order. God, that, that's how peace comes about. And so in that sense, God is a predictable God. I may not understand things about his nature. You may not understand things about his nature, but he can be known. He can be understood. Yeah. Amen. Oh, you can't understand God. Uh -uh. 
Then what's Job talking about in, in the last chapter? I believe it's Job 42. He says, I've heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. He got a better understanding of God than he had before. I'm not talking about per se an absolute understanding, but God can be known. Yes, sir. And he longs to be known. He longs to be known. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. All right. So all of that to say there, there is an order in your Christian life. There is, there's a predictable, systematic sense of life. And in in, in, uh, uh, there's a systematic sense of living in your Christianity. And it starts with sonship and then it moves to service. Now, we can talk about how fast it moves, but that's not yet what I'm looking at. Sonship, service, and then apostleship. And it, it must go in that order. Your life, your Christian life, if you want to be an orderly Christian, if you want to be the Christian that God wants you to be, and I believe you do, I'm going to take it for granted this morning that that's the case. It has to go in that order. So let me just give you a couple of things. Uh, sonship comes before service. It comes before works. And if you're saved, I think you can see this and understand it really well. Uh, sonship must come before service. The destruction of many a soul has hinged on the fact that they've tried to get being a servant first and then being a son. That'll send you straight to hell. Did you work to get born again? Then it's, it's, a damnable, it's a damnable idea, it's a damnable heresy to think that you can be a servant first and then be a son. Or to think that your service makes you a son. You should serve. But you have to be a son first. If we say that sonship is tied to leadership, which we read in Romans chapter 8, we'll look at a little bit more here in just a second. But if we say that sonship is tied to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that's what must come first. Well, then service is the caboose. It's maybe, maybe caboose is not the right way to say it, but it's later in the train of your Christian life. If you don't have the leadership of the Holy Spirit, then how do you know what to do when you get ready to serve? And I believe that's exactly where a lot of Christians are. They're trying to serve God without the leadership of God. Yes, sir, I, I believe that with all my heart. The world's way of presenting this truth, uh, I say truth, this error, and the devil, the way that the devil would have you to see it and the way your flesh wants to believe it is that service comes before sonship. Look, look in Matthew chapter 7. L look at Matthew chapter 7. And then we'll go to 2 Timothy. But first, Matthew chapter 7 and look in verse 21. Well, look in, look in verse 22. Let me try and shave some. Oh, I hate to say unnecessary, but let me try and get straight to the point. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? Well, those are wonderful things. That's service. And you could even say that it's service to God. They said, hey, we're doing it in your name. Uh then verse 23, he says, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Amen. 
The Lord doesn't accept it as service to himself. Hey, we're doing these things in your name. And he turns around and looks at him and says, I don't, I'm not accepting it. I don't receive it as service done to me because I don't even know who you are. Uh, if, if, uh, if Marshall came into my boy's room and he cleaned their bedroom, I, okay, good little boy, I appreciate it, but he's not my boy. I, I wouldn't be necessarily satisfied with it. Maybe I'd be impressed. Hey, here's a, however old it is, five, six, seven-year-old boy cleaning his room or cleaning somebody's room that ain't even his. Maybe I'd be a little bit impressed, but he's not my son. He don't have no responsibility there. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, the plowing of the wicked is sin. Well, hey, Lord, we're doing all this wonderful stuff for you. And the Lord says, I don't even know who, what your name is. Uh, you turn over to the book of Luke and here's this rich man in hell. What's his name? You don't know what his name is because the Lord doesn't know who he is. That rich man wanted to live his life as being known as a rich man. And that's how he's known even in hell. Hey, he, he was a rich man. Well, what's his name? Well, who knows? The Lord didn't have record of it. Amen. Look in, look in 2 Timothy. Look in 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and look in verse... Oh, look in verse 5. <clears throat> Excuse me. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and look in verse 5. The Bible says, Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Jannies and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Now he gives the names of three people in verse 8. One is probably well known to you. Obviously that's Moses. You know who he is. You know, held up his rod and God parted the Red Sea and went down into Egypt and uh, held up his rod and did all this stuff and God smote Egypt with all these plagues and you know got up on Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments. You know who Moses is but you may not know who Jannes and Jambres is. Uh, Jannes and Jambres was those two ma magicians that Pharaoh had come out and withstand Moses while Moses was performing all these miracles to show Pharaoh that hey God really has sent me. You remember when Moses gets up there on, on, Mount, uh, on the Mount of God, he gets up there and he says, you know, these people are going to ask me, my own people are going to ask me who it is that sent me. He said, what do I tell them? God said, I am that I am. He said, when they ask you, tell them the I am has sent me. He said, Lord, they're still not going to believe me. And so God said, I'll tell you what. He said, what's that in your hand? And Moses looked at it and said, it's a big stick. And God said, throw it on the ground. And when he threw it on the ground, it turned into a snake. You've seen the movie. So you, <laughs> you know, you know what happened. Uh, I forget that actor's name, Charlton Heston, I think. But anyways, you should get those ideas from your Bible. But anyways, he throws it on the ground and it turns into a snake. And then he turns around and grabs it by the tail and it turns back into a rod. God tells him to take his hand and put it in his bosom, pulls it out. It's leprous. He puts it back and he pulls it out and it's clean. And God said, well, if they won't believe you for all that, he said, take you a cruise of water 
And he said, pour it out on the ground. And he said, when you pour it out on the ground, it'll turn into blood. And when you go through and you read, Moses is standing before Pharaoh and he said, hey, the God of the children of Israel has told you, told me to tell you to let them go so that they can serve God in the wilderness. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should let his people go? And so Moses gets out there and takes his rod and throws it on the ground and lo and behold, it turns into a snake before him. Well, when he does that, Pharaoh snaps his fingers and two men walk out, Jannies and Jambres, and the Bible says, don't give their names in the Old Testament, but they throw their rods on the ground, and lo and behold, it turns into a snake. Well, Moses picks it back up, turns back in. By the way, Moses' rod eats up their rod, which is very interesting. Uh, but anyways, he picks that thing back up, and it turns back into this rod, it turns back into this stick, and then Moses takes a little cruise of water and he pours it out on the ground and it turns into blood. Well, when you read through there, you find out that those two magicians do the very same thing. And so what that does is that serves to harden Pharaoh's heart. I can do everything that they can do until they start going through the plagues. Moses starts doing things left and right, and I don't believe it's very far till they come to a place to where Moses takes his rod and smites the dust of the earth. And when he does that, all the dust of the earth turns into lice. You know what that is? That's creating life from nothing. And you know what the magicians have to say? This is the finger of God. We can't do this. So see, the, the, the devil, the devil can only take you so far. The devil can take you to the place of showing you things uh, that may wow you and may give you some kind of sensory experience. But he can't create life from nothing. God's the only one that has the power to do that. That's what those magicians have to back up and say. Hey, this is the finger of God. We don't have the ability to speak life out of thin air. God does. Have you ever noticed, a little side trail here, have you ever noticed what's being glorified on television on a constant basis right now? It's death. Where'd that come from? Uh, you turn on the news media and everything that's being talked about is bad, 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 bad. Why? How come, how come there ain't no rejoicing? How come there ain't no good news? That's because things are being driven by the God of this world. And the devil, listen, the devil has power but he don't have power to make life. He, he don't have that power. Yes, sir. The Lord's the one with that power. The Lord has the power to bring life from nothing. Yes, sir. So, so you get into a situation, you get into this situation to where these, these magicians are able to do what Moses did up to a certain extent, but they can't make life for not, from nothing. And the same way, listen, the same way, if you're not saved, you could sit in a place like this and do exactly what God's people, what, what the people of God, the people of God have God's life living in them. You could do the same thing that God's people are doing. You could do the service of God, but that doesn't give you sonship because you don't, you don't have the power. Your flesh does not have the power. The devil does not have the power. The world does not have the power to take that service and make it turn into sonship. You see that? Sonship has to come first and then service afterwards. 
If you try to make those things the same or if you try to take service and put it in the front, you, that's, a, that, that's damnation. That is going to destroy your soul. It's going to mess you up. And then let me say this. Another error that you run into is trying to make service the same thing as sonship. It's a little more subtle of an error than to take service and put it in front of sonship. But, it, but it's just as much a damnable heresy because what you'll do is you'll spend the rest of your life, listen to me, you'll spend the, less, the rest of your life trying to prove to yourself that you are a son of God because you do X, Y, and Z. And, and what's going to happen is you're going to come face to face. And I guarantee if you've been saved for any length of time, you already have come face to face with the fact that you are one big fat failure. You take that as a fat joke if you want to. But that's the case. You're a failure. I'm a failure. Uh, you don't even meet up to your own expectations. Well, when you do that, when you fail to meet up to God's expectations after you're saved, if what you're doing is making sonship and service the same thing, then what you're going to do is you're going to look at your own life and you're going to say, well, I must not be saved. And then the preacher who's preaching all these standards and preaching all these expectations that God has out of your life, you're going to get mad and bitter with him when what he's preaching is right expectations, it's right truth. It's not his fault that you're mad and bitter. It's your fault. Listen to me. It's your fault for not understanding that service and sonship are not the same. They're different things. They are, they are so different. You become a son because you trusted Jesus. You trusted what Jesus did. You trusted Jesus' service to his father. I'm a failure. I'm a mess. I don't measure up. Jesus is not a failure. Jesus did measure up. So I, I will accept that as a payment for my faults, for my failures, for my shortcomings. And the Lord looked at that belief and said, that's a righteous individual right there. That's what Romans chapter 4 is about. But what happens is a lot of Christians, they get saved. They get, and I, I believe, I believe that a lot of folks get saved, but maybe some preacher comes through or maybe, maybe you're not reading your Bible like you should be doing. Maybe you're not praying like you should be, but something takes place and you get into it in your mind. Service and sonship is the same thing. And if I look inside, if I look at my life and I don't see right service, which should be there, but if I don't see right service, then I must not be a son. And it is just not so. It's not so. Uh, how many of you backslid after you got saved? Okay, case closed. Case closed. Hey, some folks have backslid so bad, they forgot that they, like Second Peter says, they forgot that they were purged from their old sins. It's a possibility. It's a, it's a grand, grand possibility. And we could argue about whether that's your fault or your preacher's fault for not getting you established, but it happened. So let's not argue about it. Let's just recognize that it can happen and recognize that service and sonship are not the same. They are connected. They are connected. They are connected. You say, why are you saying that so much? Because I want you to remember it is connected. To say, I'm saved, for, for a man to say that I'm saved and never do anything, never do anything for the Lord, never to have any evidence of conviction in their life, to be able to live the same way that a lost man lives without any kind of remorse, any kind of chastisement, 
any kind of judgment on their life? I have my doubts. Hey, the Lord knows. I have my doubts, but the Lord knows. And that, that's about as far as I can push the issue. Because I'm not God. I just don't know. I'll pray for you and I'll preach to you like you're saved and lost. And then leave it, leave, it at, leave it with the Lord. The Lord can handle those things. And so, all right. So the problem's not with the expectations that some mean preacher puts on you. It's just you don't understand that service and sonship are not the same thing. Now, look back in Genesis or Galatians 4. Let, let's read a couple of passages. Galatians chapter 4 and... Look in verse 6. Now, we read this a minute ago. Let me elaborate a little bit on this this morning. Galatians 4, verse 6, he says, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He doesn't say because ye are sons, you went out on visitation. Because ye are sons, you read your Bible every day. Because ye are sons, you pray every day. That's not what it says. Because your sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You say, Brother Nathan, what makes me saved? The Holy Spirit lives inside. You say, well, I don't feel it. It's not about you feeling it. It's about it being a real truth and God seeing it. Let me get a little rough with you this morning. You know what the problem you have this morning? The problem is, is you live in a society that emphasizes feeling so much that if you don't feel something, you don't think it's true. That's why you believe everything you see on the television. That's why you believe that Elvis was a godly man. Yes, sir. That's why, that's why you believe the sweet-talking moron down at your workplace when he gets up next into your ears, ladies, and you know, starts whispering these sweet nothings in your ear because he makes you feel good. Yes, sir. You, you buy into that stuff. Uh, a, man, a man will buy into pornography. A woman will buy into something along the lines of a Harlequin romance novel. Neither one of them's real. It, it's all fake. But you'll buy into it for one reason. Because of the way that it makes you feel. Ain't that right? Yes, sir. That, that's true. And what you don't realize is what you feel is destroying your life. It's killing you. It's a, it's a rattlesnake that's wrapped around your neck, and it's about ready to put its fangs in your jugular. You, you, I'm not saying that feelings don't matter. The Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, I believe it is, that there are those that are past feeling. That is not somebody being bragged on. That's, that's a bad situation. I'm not saying feelings don't matter. But what I am saying is that if you're constantly run by what you feel, if you're constantly being assaulted by what you feel and your sense of reality, your sense of truth falls into what you feel, you're, you're damning your own life. Yes, sir. And you're going to have to get your mind wrapped around the truth of God. Anyways, verse 6, because your sons God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now watch what he says. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You say, well, Brother Nathan, you just read in Romans 1 that we're a servant. That's right. Well, then these things must be contradictory. No, they're complementary. 
What Paul is talking about in Galatians 4 is something separate than what he was talking about in Romans 1. What he's talking about in Galatians chapter 4 is your sonship. When it comes to your sonship, when it comes to you being a child of God, your service, you being a servant, has nothing to do with that. Because your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. You have to understand that when it comes to being a child of God, that is not a matter of service. You don't become a child of God by serving God. You, you have to understand that. You say, well, I, I think that God ex expects us to serve him. He does. After you're a child of God. But if you set up service in front of being a son, that is nothing but work salvation. Whatever that service is, baptism, taking communion, like Brother Mike said, helping little old ladies across the street, uh, taking groceries to somebody, whatever it is. Hey, listen. Let me tell you something. Y'all should be swinging from the chandeliers this morning. Y'all should, should be shouting. I should be shouting. Because it has nothing to do with your works. You being a child of good God has nothing to do with your works. It has to do with the works of Jesus Christ. And when he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. And when he ascended up into heaven, he's not up there working. He's sitting down. Because there's nothing else to do. It's all done. Yes, sir. That's a great blessing. Look in Ephesians 2. We looked at this already, but let's read a little bit more. Ephesians chapter 2 and look in verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. <clears throat> now he says, Ephesians 2 verse 8, he says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. And then he tells you why. Because if it was of works you sure enough would boast. You would brag on yourself. I got saved because I did this, this, and that. And that's not how you got saved. If you saved, you got saved because Jesus did this, this, and that. You should almost get the impression this morning that you're not all that big of a deal. Because <laughs> it's true. And yes, sir, it's true. Uh, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Hey, you could, take, you could take one man and take all the works of his life and stuff it all together, and the Bible says all together, he's vanity. But hey, you could take the works of the entire population and put them all together. Every man at his best state is all together vanity. All of them. Put them all in the same pot, take all their good works and put them in the same pot, and God will snub his nose at it because he said, that's nothing compared to my son. Yes, sir. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. It's grace through faith first. That's the first place you come to. Being a son is the first place you come to as being a Christian. You say, well, I, I, I became a Christian when I started going to church. No, you did not. You may, you may have... Got your name put on the church roll, but that did not make you a Christian. It did not make you saved. 
You became, you became a Christian the day that you became a child of God and you became a child of God the day that you said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. Save my soul. Maybe not those words, but something that with that kind of understanding and God sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of you and God now looks at you and says, that's my son. I don't measure up. We know. We know. That's why you had to get saved. And then after that comes works. And it's only after that. It's only after that. Let me look at one more passage and then we'll close this morning and give you a little break. Look in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Now, what, what we've been looking at so far, what we've been looking at so far is the fact that uh, service and sonship are not the same thing and that the order goes sonship before service. Now let me, so we've been drawing a, a distinctive line between the two things. Now let me show you that they are connected. Acts chapter 9, if I'd have been turning instead of talking, I'd have got there myself. But Acts chapter 9 verse 1, now this is the conversion of Paul the apostle. His name at the time was Saul. And Paul later says in the book of Romans, he says that I am your apostle. He says in another place, he said, I'm your pattern. The Gentile church, the folks that are in the body of Christ and they're uh, Gentile dogs, which is what we are. I don't think there's any Jews in here. I don't see anybody with a bigger nose than mine. So uh, I, I'm about the one that's got the best chance of being a Jew in here. So anyways, uh, having said that, here's the conversion of Paul. Uh, Acts 9 verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined a right, uh, uh, round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? Whoever was talking to him, Saul fully understood that he was the Lord. Amen. Saul did not listen to me. Saul did not have the problem that he did not believe in God. He believed in God. He was an ardent follower of the Jewish religion, but he was still lost. You know what tied the thing together for him? You know what plugged it in his mind? Look at what he says. He says, verse 5, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. After that, Paul said, I got it. Jesus Christ is God. When that, when that was put together in Paul's mind, when God finally revealed to him, Hey, this man Jesus, who you hate, that really is God manifest in the flesh. When, it, when that was put together in Paul's mind by revelation, Paul said, okay, I tap out. And then look at what he says next. Verse 6, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Paul's converted first. And what immediately follows on the tales of that conversion is what you want out of me. What you want me to do? Service. It's, it's not when Paul's talking in Galatians chapter 4 saying, Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. He's not saying that you're a son and therefore you never have to do anything for God. That is not what he's saying. Because in his own conversion, after he's converted, he says, What do you want me to do? What kind of service do you want out of my life? 
And God gives him some instructions. We're not going to look at that this morning because we don't have uh, much time left. But it's there. Service is connected with sonship. You say, how is it connected? After. After. You put it before or you make it the same. That, you, you're going to have a mess. If you're saved, and it's possible. It's very possible. Listen to me this morning. It's very possible that if you're making those two things the same, it's possible that you're not saved. It's also possible you're just confused. And you'll have to get that thing ironed out in your heart and mind, which is why we're partly going over this stuff. I, Lord showed me this stuff last week, and it was a great blessing to me. Very simple stuff, but it's very necessary stuff. Amen. All right. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for the truth of your word. I pray that you'd bless us, God, in this study. Take these things and use it to help your people. And, Lord, uh, God, just minister as you see fit, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.